Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. So the last few days I've been reading a little bit and I ran across some stuff about Dietrich Bonhoeffer again. He was the young German pastor who was writing a friend from a Nazi prison. At the end of his life, he was grappling with the questions amidst all the destruction and the horrible stuff going on around him. And he, he, he felt that in his time, the world was becoming completely religionless or irreligious. He was trying to understand how Christ could be Lord of the world and the world not recognize his existence or seem like it even needed him. In the midst of that chaos, he shared, he said, what is bothering me incessantly is the question what Christianity really is, or indeed who Christ really is for us today. I know that for us there's so many weird and crazy and scary and confusing things going awry in our nation and around us right now. We may be asking that same question. We're surrounded by racial hostility, we as a people in America look primarily to our government as our hope way too often, which is really dysfunctional on both sides of the, the aisle. And many have made their brand of politics and uh, the government an idol. We tend to struggle with our culture and how we treat sexuality so flippantly and so oddly. We, you know, we are constantly tempted to live our lives based upon consumerism. Uh, constantly motivating our lives by what's in it for me and how we view life. And in the midst of it all, I think we are subtly and, and maybe even not so subtly anxiously focused oftentimes on how do I protect myself in the face of the chaos and the uncertainty. I mean, in the midst of all of this, I think it's appropriate for us to ask, as Bonhoeffer did, who is Christ for us today? And that's a really, really important question. Because depending upon what you believe the answer is to that question, it affects everything we do, whether we are aware of it or not in life. In the final message of 2020, Wendy and I reviewed some lessons learned and some gifts given during 2020, a difficult year. And one of the most valued lessons was about how the key essentials of church and what that means to do church together really are coming and need to come to the forefront. I mean, with everything that's gone on this last year, it really makes me and makes, you, it makes us all look, I think, at what really matters, right? How are we doing, for instance, as a church, in developing people that not only believe the right things about God, but have such a committed, loving relationship with God that they are being deeply and radically changed from the inside out? So when our staff came together to discuss the focus for Quest this New Year's and this new series that we're doing, we all kind of had the same focus, although we kind of came at it from different perspectives as well. We all deeply believe that this deeply formed series is critical for us, especially in this time period. Because the troubling reality is, you and I, we can all be pretty committed Christians without ever being deeply formed by relationship with Christ. It's easy to go through the motions, to behave, behave like you're supposed to behave, go to church, do the things you're supposed to do, at least in public, but never really give God true access to our soul. 
never truly learn to know God through the Holy Spirit. Never really learn to know with the confidence of God's presence with us and the confidence, have confidence in how he speaks to us. It's easy to choose Christianity as a nice religion and don't see it or live it as a compelling, purposeful relationship with the creator of the universe that brings depth and meaning to our lives. Robert Mulholland, a Christian professor famous for writing works on spiritual formation, once said, you can be in God for the world or you can be in the world for God. Often we easily fall into the trap of living in the latter part of that statement. We have things we believe about God and we want and we believe and want out of this world and this life. And we kind of want to believe in God because we believe he's going to tag along and help all those things that we want happen in life. So many of us live, as I recently heard someone say, for example, with a thin veneer of faith and a thick veneer of politics. And we follow God and stay in church as long as it makes us feel good about ourselves and we feel like God is giving what we want out of this. What's in it for me, we're getting that. We tend to live as consumer Christians who demand God meet our needs in the way we want when we want them met. But the goal of a dip, deep, rich faith in Christ is to be in God for the world. When Jesus transforms our deepest longings, where Jesus re rewires how we think about relationships, how we think about life and purpose, and how we think about conflict, and he makes us strong and winsome people because we have this rock-solid, deeply formed being by him because we're in his presence and we know his power then our actions on the outside will reflect God. This series is about pursuing and taking time for us all to re-examine and ask ourselves these basic questions. Who are we becoming as individuals and as a community who claim to follow Jesus? And are we really walking in the ways of Jesus? For example... Has the church encouraged our faith to look more like the American dream or more like the Bible? Have we encouraged people to accept Jesus but remain emotionally and spiritually immature and shallow? We have to ask ourselves, how can it be that so many who call themselves Christians don't look all that different from the world around them? I mean, so many followers of Jesus are just as stressed out and just as driven by life uh, and dri driving their lives at a destructive pace exactly the same way as others around us whose whole goal in life is just simply to try to live the American dream. See, these are challenging questions for me. I think they're challenging questions for all of us. Who am I becoming and in, is this the way Jesus wants for me to live? To be deeply formed means it takes patience, it takes consistency, it takes perseverance to go deep. So how do people get spiritually formed? Paul wrote a letter to the Galatians uh, in modern-day Turkey is where it is, where who were struggling with the same question. Paul was really concerned, greatly concerned, even shocked at how Christ could be so powerfully experienced by them in conversion, and then they trade that power for something else, 
rather than being deeply formed by Christ. Paul actually says it this way. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, not a different gospel. There isn't one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So what he's saying is in their pursuit of wanting to be more devoted followers of Jesus, Christians, the Galatians were drifting away from the essentials of relationship with God and God's grace. They had started to listen to false teachers who were saying the presence and power of God and the grace of God are not enough. You need to do extra stuff to be accepted to be, by God to be good Christians. They were trying to do outward changes like getting circumcised and doing certain customs, etc. And Paul said, no, we're transformed from the inside out. We are to be transformed by receiving over and over again Jesus' love through the Holy Spirit coming to us and thereby formed deeply by him. We see Paul's anguish and urgency over this when he says in Galatians 4, he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Kind of the theme verse where we got the series title. Paul was writing them to them then and to us today with this passion and focus that Christ would be deeply formed in us so that we would not live as shaky or shallow people, but we would be deeply formed in Christ. Again, asking us kind of the questions, who am I becoming? Is this the way Jesus wants for us to live? Is Christ being deeply formed in me? The kind of deep formation refers to what we call today spiritual formation. This is how we talk about it today. To be spiritually formed in a way that your emotions and your thoughts and your behaviors are also deeply changed. Now, I have a few concerns when we do something on spiritual formation for a variety of reasons. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know what those are. One is using words like spiritual, for, spiritual formation can mean so many different things. I mean, sometimes when we talk about spiritual formation, some think, think of it as just being for those who are really spiritual, introverted types who like to be contemplative and sit in silence in their closet all day praying. Yet, I want to be clear. Spiritual formation is for everyone. In fact, the truth is, Spiritual formation is happening, happening in you all of the time, for better or for worse, every day, all the time, whether you want it to or not. Whether you are a Christian or not, you are being spiritually formed every single moment of every single day. See, there is an outer you and there is an inner you. And you are shaped by what you hear, you watch, you see, you read, you think, you experience via TV, work, conversations you have, all sorts of other things. The question is not if someone wants to be spiritually formed, but rather who and what our spirits are being formed by. How are we intentionally forming our spirits? How are we intentionally forming our children's spirits? Are we doing it well or are we doing it poorly? Are we knowing what we're doing or are we having something done to us by other people? 
See, I also get concerned doing a series on spiritual formation that we get stuck thinking it's all about the exercises and techniques like Lectio Divina or meditation or other exercises we're going to talk about. We will be giving you various spiritual habits and exercises to try, but the purpose of any exercise is for us to do something intentional to create room to commune with God and encounter the Spirit of God. It isn't some kind of new legalism or self-help formula. Just do this and your life is going to be fantastic. Another concern I have is that we don't get so overly inward focused and so navel gazing that we become stuck on so self-focused that it becomes all about us and forgets we forget everybody around us. Because being deeply spiritually formed is for us individually, certainly, and it's for the world. Remember that phrase, in God for the world. See, Dallas Willard, one of the greatest names in spiritual formation in the last century, said it this way. He said, the most important thing in your life is not what you do, it's who you become. That's what you will take into eternity because you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. Now, some of us may get intimidated as well on a series in spiritual formation because, you, well, and you may want to tune me out because you look at your life and you say, well, I can't, I can't be like Jesus. I have too many sins. I need forgiving. My prayer life is inconsistent. I don't feel close to God. So how can Christ be formed in me? So let me say this. If you belong to Jesus, you have his spirit dwelling inside of you, and he's there waiting and wanting and ready to help coach you and help form you. Deeply formed is an invitation first about becoming. And out of that becoming, we get to partner with God in being involved in what he's doing. And any doing on our part will always be limited by our being. So, The goal we have is to not just look good on the outside. We want to be connected to God more fully on the inside. There's a great metaphor that's often used around spiritual formation. It's the redwood trees. If you've ever been to the West Coast, you see these redwoods ranging from 200 feet to 400 feet tall. I mean, the 37-foot building tall tree. It's amazing if you've not been able to ever see it. Some of them are over 1,000 years old. These trees endure because their roots are intertwined with each other. Their roots are typically only five to six feet deep, but their roots extend out over a hundred feet and they intertwine with the roots of other trees around them. Each tree is actually sustained by the larger, wider system of roots that provide stability, enabling them to grow high and go way up in the sky. And this is a metaphor for Christian spiritual formation because God longs for us to be fully alive, to expand and to soar, leading us to also be witnesses of all the goodness of God that's available for all of us. To be deeply formed means to continually grow in layers that are shaping and changing us so that we can have a root system solidly connected to Christ and other Christians that results in our lives being strong and stable and full of life and enduring. So how do we allow Christ to be deeply formed in us? I think we see the first critical step in a question that actually pastor and author John Ortberg once asked of Dallas Willard, who we mentioned earlier, who was a mentor to him. 
Ortberg actually was about to go on staff at a well-known mega church, and he went to him, or, or Willard before he was about to make the move, and he said, what do I need to do to stay spiritually healthy? And there was a long pause, and then Willard said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. He kind of went, okay, Dallas, I got that one. Tell me the other spiritual wisdom nuggets that I need because I don't have a lot of time. This is going to be a really fast-paced environment. This is going to be a really great thing happening in my life. I need spiritual wisdom. What else do I need to know? And Willard looked at him and said, there's nothing else. There's nothing else. Hurry is the greatest enemy of a spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Now, if you were asked or I were asked what the greatest enemy of spiritual life would be, what would you say? Uh, we might say the temptations we struggle with. We might say the getting angry over the partisan politics, the breakdown of family and marriage relationships and conflict there, temptations like greed and lust. I, I know that hurry probably wouldn't have made my top ten list. John Mark Comer has a popular book right now called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which is based off of Willard's quote. Attached to this message today, this afternoon, when it gets up online, you'll be able to see on our website a PDF download that has, a, uh, has resources for books that you may want to read if you're a reader, and it also has a little quiz that I'm going to walk you through in just a, a few moments as well. Comer talks about <clears throat> the realization in his own life that hurry in his life was an issue that was leading to all kinds of negative issues, such as low-grade anxiety that would leak out in anger and, and lack of being present to God and others, especially his family. He said it led to a breakdown of growth in his own life and the ability to love well. Hurry. The sense of urgency is, honestly, it's reinforced all around us every day. Hurry is celebrated by our culture. It's taught by some of the most respected leaders like Jeff Bezos, owner of Amazon. He wrote to his shareholders how speed matters in business. Making high-velocity decisions is essential and it makes life and work more fun, he said. Talking about 80, 90-hour weeks. Economic icon Elon Musk encourages working 80 hours a week if you want to be considered a high-output person in life. So we wrestle with hurry. It's all around us. Hurry can increase our, our dopamine rush, and it feels good. It helps, but it also hurts us at the same time. Because that dopamine rush of hurry leads to us also being addicted to that rush. I think most of us would also agree that we see how hurry helps us avoid the pain in life as well. I think some of us are actually scared to slow down and have to come face-to-face -face with some of the difficult things in our lives. So we just stay busy. We can move so fast we don't feel the sadness. On the flip side, though, we also don't experience full, real joy either. In our fast-paced culture, it's so difficult to swim upstream and live life less hurried. Yet it affects us as, a, as we follow Jesus as well. That's what we want this series to be about, learning to take on the pace of Jesus, his rhythm, to give space so that we can be aware of God who is currently active in your life, whether you realize it or not. We don't often recognize it. Hurry for most of us has become a toxic lifestyle. I think we even see it in the movies. How many of you have tried to watch a hit movie from the 50s and 60s recently? It's almost 
painful how slow those movies are compared to today's movies, aren't they? I mean, Jesus lived a full life, but he was not in a hurry. He had lots to do, but not too much. Half of the best stories in life, in Jesus' life in the Bible, are interruptions that he responded to. Jesus is so aware of God around him and so present to people around him that he lived life with the margin to be able to respond to these important God moment interruptions. I mean, after a long day of ministering to people, Jesus would regularly get away. On one such occasion, we see him send his disciples off in the boat and he spends time alone and he catches up by walking on the water. Other times, he just walks away from the crowds and all of their desperate needs, regularly doing that, disconnecting from the demands of life to stay present to God. And therefore, he was able to be present to people as well in amazingly powerful ways beyond anything you could do on his own. See, there's a restfulness about Jesus that I think we've lost. We tend to live exhausted physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I know I do too, all too often. I don't know about you, but I'm at my worst when I'm tired. I'm a worse husband, a worse dad, a worse friend, a worse pastor, a worse boss. I'm even worse at playing video games, and I'm already with my kids, and I'm already really bad. They're just gracious to even play me, but I'm worse when I'm tired. See, when we are hurried, trying to get so much done in in such a little time, we're always looking for the shortest line in the grocery store, the best lane to take when driving. So during those times, do you experience love, joy, and peace? Or are you cursing in your mind, if not out loud, as as this driver is holding you back, getting where you want to be faster, or, or making you stand in the checkout line because they're so slow? See, I love after Christmas time of the year and all the demands are over. You just get to be rest and you get to be present with the lights and the people around you. The rush is over. You just, you just get to be for a few hours or a few days, being present in the moment, no agenda. That's one of my favorite times of the year. No rush for anything. I'd like to take us all through quick uh, a, a, a quiz for the 10 symptoms of Hermes, hurry sickness. You'll find it in Comer's book. We're borrowing it from him. We'll have the link uh, for that book and all of this resource up on the page this afternoon. So which ones of these do you find yourself experiencing? Just check them off. Irritability, anybody? You get mad, you get frustrated, you get annoyed way too easily. Little normal things irk you. People have to tiptoe around you with low grade, with, with your low grade negativity, if not anger. A word of advice from a fellow eggshell expert: to self-diagnose, don't look at how you treat your colleague or your neighbor. Look at how you treat your closest friends, your family, your spouse, your children, your roommate. What about hypersensitivity? Anybody else ever struggled with that? All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings, or a grumpy email to throw your entire day off and into an emotional funk. I mean, minor things quickly escalate to major emotional events. So depending on your personality, that might show up in anger, or it might show up in anxiety, or nitpickiness, or depression, or tiredness. The point is that the ordinary problems of this life, this side of Eden, have a disproportionate effect on your emotional well-being and relational grace. You can't seem to roll with the punches as well as you wish you could, think you should, know you should. 
Restlessness. Anybody restless? When you actually do try to slow down, you can't relax. You try to take a Sabbath and you hate it. You read scripture and you find it boring. You have a quiet time with God. You can't focus your mind. You go to bed early and you toss and turn with anxiety. You watch TV and you simultaneously check your phone and you fold your laundry and get get into a spat on Twitter and email at the same time. In fact, maybe you actually even need TV on in order to be able to make yourself go to sleep. Your mind and your body are hyped up on the drug of speed. And when they don't get to the next, and when you don't get to the next dopamine fix, you actually maybe even start to shiver because you need it so much. You just gotta do something else. How about workaholism? Or maybe you don't relate to that. Maybe it's just you can't stop. It's nonstop activity. You just don't know how to stop, or worse, you can't stop. Another hour, another day, another week, your drug of choice is accomplishment or accumulation. These show up in you being ultra-focused on your career or just being obsessed with house cleaning or errand running or just doing something. The result is you fall prey to what some people refer to as sunset fatigue, where by day's end you have nothing left to give your spouse or your children or your loved ones. They get the grouchy, curt, overtired you, and it's not really pretty. How many of you deal with emotional numbness? You just don't have the capacity to feel another's pain or, you, or, 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 or even your own pain sometimes for that matter. I mean, empathy is a difficult thing for you that doesn't come easy. You just don't have the time for it. You live in the constant dull emotion. Or how about out-of-order priorities? Anybody there? You feel disconnected from your identity and your calling. You're always getting sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. Your life is reactive, not proactive. You're busier than ever before. You still feel like you don't have enough time for what really matters. I mean, months go by, years go by, maybe even decades go by, and you realize you still haven't gotten around to the things that you said were most important in your life. How about this lack of care for your body? You don't have time for the basics. Eight hours of sleep a night, daily exercise, healthy home-cooked food, minimal stimulants and margin. You gain weight. You get sick multiple times a year. Regularly wake up tired. You don't sleep well. You live off the four horsemen of the industrialized food apocalypse, caffeine and sugar and processed carbs and alcohol, right? Nobody does that. What about escapist behaviors? When you're too tired to do what's actually good for your soul, we each turn to our distraction of choice. Overeating, overdrinking, binge-watching Netflix, playing too many video games, social media, surfing the web, looking at porn, whatever it is. Name your preferred cultural narcotic. Now, narcotics can actually be good if you've had surgery and need some short-term pain relief, right? But when you abuse them and you escape reality, they eat us alive. You find yourself stuck in this negative feedback loop of socially acceptable addictions. How about slippage of spiritual disciplines? If you're anything like me, when you get over busy, one of the first things to go is giving is the things that most nourish your soul, such as quiet time in the morning or evening or both or sometime in between or scripture or prayer or Sabbath or worship on Sundays or a meal with community and other things like that. Isn't it ironic, kind of an ironic catch-22, that the things that make for rest actually take a bit of emotional energy and self-discipline? 
When we get over busy, we get overtired. When we get overtired, we don't have the energy to, do, to discipline ourselves to do what was most needed for our souls. And the cycle tends to just repeat over and over and over again. And then the cycle begins to feed off of its own energy. So instead of life with God, we settle for life with Netflix subscriptions and a a glass of cheap red wine. Kind of a poor substitute. Not because time wasted on TV is the great Satan. It's not wrong to watch TV or enjoy that. But because we rarely get done binge-watching anything or posting or eating five guys' burgers and our social media fix at the same time, we rarely get done binging anything and feel awake or alive. Binge-watching doesn't feed our soul. It doesn't make us feel rested or refreshed or ready for a new day. It just simply delays dealing with the emotion that we're avoiding and we're eventually going to have an emotional crash. And as a consequence, we miss out on the life-giving sense of God being with us, of God loving us, of God treasuring us, of God gifting us, because we don't create room to encounter him. Isolation. You feel disconnected from God and others or your own soul. Or those, uh, on those rare times when you actually do stop to pray, and by pray I don't mean just list all the things you want God to do for you. I mean actually sit and have a conversation with him and listen and, and commune with him. You're so stressed and you're so stract, distracted that your mind can't settle down long enough to enjoy his company. And it's the same with your friends. When you're with them, you're on your phone or you're a million miles away running down all the to-do list things that you missed and not really with them. Lost in the familiar groove of busyness and digital distraction. So how did you score? How many of those did you have to check? Five, six, seven, eight of them? You're not alone if you did. But hear this. There's an invitation for us to take the next few weeks and look at eliminating hurry and creating some space so we can be more deeply formed by Christ and encounter his spirit more readily, more frequently, more consistently. Because a hurried, overly busy life is toxic. John Erpberg actually has gone on to live an incredibly faithful life, just recently retiring from pastoring. He took to heart what Dallas Willard had said him and ruthlessly eliminated hurry in his life. And now Ortberg is known for comments like this. He says, I cannot live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. Notice he didn't say, I should not have a hurried soul or I feel really bad about having a hurried soul. No, he says, I can't live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. I cannot follow God well when I live at the pace of our culture. See, I hope this message doesn't make you feel heavy or guilty. What I hope it makes you feel is a desire bubbling up in you for to know Jesus more authentically, to more fully live in the presence and power of God like you have never done before. A desire to create space to learn more about how to walk with Jesus in a way that we're not in such a hurry. That we become more aware of God on a daily basis. That we realize how to walk alongside of him rather than walking wherever we're walking and hoping he's blessing what we're doing. And with this increased awareness of him, that we'll let him change us so that we experience the peace 
and the joy, the purpose, the abundance, the strength to face whatever we're facing and overcome whatever we're facing. If you're a seeker here, worship team, come on up. If you're a seeker here who's not committed to your Christian faith yet, just listen to me for a second. More than anything, finding out whether Jesus is really God is about practicing Christian spiritual formation habits that allow you to create the space in your life to discover not just the truth about Christianity, but powerful relationship with God himself. So I want to encourage you, this series is not just for believers, but it is for those who are at this time still uncertain, because it's really all about relationship with God. So some action steps for all of us. I want you to take some time this week to just pause. Take a deep breath and ask yourself these questions and give, your time, give yourself time to really think about them. Who am I becoming? And what And who is spiritually forming me? Maybe think about it this way. Where where do you spend your most focus in life? What things do you think would be most beneficial to carve out of your schedule or limit in your schedule so that you can create more space to become more aware of God's presence and, and actually be more present with people around you? You may want to actually spend just a little more time even meditating on the hurry sickness quiz and go, okay, I checked this one. Which is the most important one for me to to deal with now? And where does God want to speak to me about that? Next week, we're going to begin exploring some practices or tools that help us increase our awareness of God in our lives. For right now, would you just join me in prayer? So God, in the midst of everything going on, the craziness of our world, the upsetting things going on all around us in our world. The relationships that are difficult, the sickness that's difficult, the pandemic, Lord. I pray that in all of that, that you would come to us and you would teach us to take on your peace and your presence in facing that. Lord, you to give us the ability to hand those problems over to you and for us to walk each day aware of your presence and your power, your Holy Spirit with us, leading us, guiding us, speaking to us, empowering us, giving us wisdom, helping us to remember the things we need to remember when we need to remember it. Lord, would you just help us to live life full of the awareness of your presence? Lord, that we could be people who, because we have a God who's overcome everything, that we have the strength to face whatever difficulty we're facing, whatever tumult is going on around us, whatever pain we are experiencing, Lord, that we would have the ability to face it being deeply formed by you, being strong as these redwoods, enduring, powerful, in great relationship with you and with other Christians. Lord, that we would experience the ability to overcome everything in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org slash give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.